Hello and welcome to the Spencer Scott Holmes Podcast. You may remember me from such other shows as Old Man Orange, Indie Comics Club, and Via VHS, along with my sitcom-styled indie comic book series, Pizza Boys, that's Boys with a Z. But on this new podcast here, I'll be talking one-on-one interviews with different creators in the multimedia world, having some good time laughs, talking shop, the tips and tricks of the trade, and behind-the-scenes stories. So let's jump on in and have some fun. Well, we'll just get kind of mainly started with this. So, Derek... How's it going? It's been a while. It has. It's been a very long while. And, uh, you know, considering how the world's been with COVID and everything, and I'm surprised we even managed to, to get back on like now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's always kind of hard with all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, since this is kind of a, a new podcast and everything like that, um, Derek, you want to kind of give like an introduction of who you are and what you do and all that kind of fun jazz? Yeah, why not? Uh, Derek Lipscomb. Um, most might know me from my uh, indie comic book, The Maroon, which I've been working on since 2017. Um, you know, I'm currently at 18 issues, with three trades, uh, basically consolidating all of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, other than that, you know, father of two, live in Southern California, you know, life is good. There you go. You just can't complain. Well, yeah, because like literally, nope. I think we pretty much started making comics around the same time. Because if I look at my Pizza Boys like like original copyright, it says 2016. So I know that like yeah. that's kind of when like I must have started the first issue. Granted, I had like a script from back in high school for it and so on. There, there was always a pre-plan. You know how those some things sometimes go and whatnot. But um, but yeah, the whole time of doing indie comics and so on, me and Derek have just kind of gone back and forth, helping each other out, sharing, doing drawings for each other and whatnot. And, you know, the Maroon, I always, I mean, I say it's like, that's one of my favorite books around. I kid you not, it doesn't matter. Like, I'll say this, out of any story, I just love the hell out of that. Like, every issue is fantastic. Something, you know, dramatic happens. Some kind of, like, big old action scene, tons of violence. You almost never can predict how things are going to go. It's got that fear of the unknown going with it and so on so i mean it's it's one of the best stories possibly around in my opinion well that's a big compliment that's a i mean now you put pressure on me to keep it up (laughs) (laughs) it's like one of those ones it's like every issue you know there's always that kind of thing i think once you kind of get farther along you kind of wonder if it's like is this going to be like that issue that i make where like you know it's just kind of like felt like you're phoning it in almost like you you know how sometimes you see with like tv shows and they get to those some of those episodes be like well, what was going on in that one? I had like three jokes in like 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, and it's funny. I thought I've thought i done about like four or five of those and, 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 and still like, you know, people will respond really well to them. So I'm not going to complain. You know what I mean? Like if that's, if that's my low point with the book, then I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those ones. But yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like, as long as you just still always have at least a couple moments that like hold it together, it's like, oh, it still works out. And Granted, I think that's like anything when you make kind of a book. You, you you see certain things in there where like you might be go like to yourself, you kind of notice that. And then it's like right. a lot of times like the audience reading it, like it's almost like they absorb it in a completely different way because they haven't stared at it yeah. for like the last three months straight. Oh, man. That's like your worst enemy as a creator is is just working on uh, even just a single issue for as long as it takes. And then when you finally got it done. And you're like the only person that looks at it in disgust. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that weird point that like it, this happens to me because of like with like comedy and so on is like, you know, a couple months into it. It's like you've read it so much because of the script. 
You know, you draw mm-hmm. the penciling, then you ink it, and so on and so on and so on. So you've kind of seen it over and over, and there's this point where you're like, is, is, is this funny? I, 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 I don't know anymore. Like, I, I just, I've looked at it so many times, like, I, I'm just not too sure, you know. And I think that's also where, like, I've always kind of said that, like, once I sort of have my script like written mm-hmm. and done like i kind of keep that pretty darn concrete like i might reword something maybe later down the line to make it a little bit easier or something like that to kind of read but beyond that right. though i don't try to change it too much because I, I you see some other guys where like they'll get two-thirds into theirs and they go oh i gotta rewrite it and so on like that you know what i mean and then it just sort of like jacks up their production and it's like no 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 once the script is done the, the, the script is king you know, I, I'm guilty of of all of the above. I, like, I don't have a structured uh, way of uh, putting out scripts anymore. I used to. I was a lot more uh, disciplined in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then as things went on, I'm like, oh, this is the idea I have in my head. <laughs> and then I'm like, I, I'm, I'm so excited to draw this action sequence. So I'm just going to draw everything and then fill in the dots. <laughs> You start going Marvel style <laughs> and, a bit like. And then for most cases, it works out pretty well. And, and thank God I have like you know uh, my friends Brian and his wife Rose. They kind of they kind of reel it back in sometimes for me. Like you know you don't have to say this three times. You know <laughs> you can say it just once. <laughs> you get Mister Exposition going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I definitely chew a lot of dialogue in, in some of my stuff where I could just kind of you know because originally the character of the maroon he really was going to be almost like a vampire hunter D style character where he didn't say a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, he, he, you would know what's going on by the people he was surrounded by. And that didn't really last that long. I think he was like that maybe in the first issue. Yeah, like <laughs> where, where he sort of just drifts on in somehow. Like, cause that's always yeah. how I feel about those type of characters. They sort of drift on into like scenarios and then like everybody around him is kind of reacting. And so it's almost like, even though this is another way to describe it, it's kind of like uh, Mel Gibson is Mad Max. He just kind of yeah. shows up and like it's, he has really nothing to do with any of these people. But at the end of the day, he kind of solves all their problems and then just leaves yeah. off. <laughs> or, or, or in the case of the Maroon, he kind of screws their life over more <laughs> by being there. <laughs> people yeah. die you know it's like you know it's almost like that i think of like the very first issue it's like boy those those poor guys that he shows up to like the boy and his son and whatnot you know if he didn't show up that one day I know. dad would still be alive yeah yeah i mean i'm a big fan of tragedy in, in literature and stuff like that but sometimes i just rake it to the coals hard like just every issue has been like oh wow i <laughs> This is not the outcome that I originally planned. <laughs> well, and that's, that's always kind of the interesting thing is kind of like when you're putting together a story and then it kind of it forms and turns into, you know, kind of like you you start off this idea and then you kind of get to a point where you're like, oh, well, I could kind of go there. Or what if I just do this one action here? And that brings into a completely different kind of take. And I think that's yes. always kind of an interesting way kind of about it and so on. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because like I said, and, and this is a lot to do with also the free form of of why I don't stick to a, a structured script sometimes is because um, as I'm putting things together, I do the choose your own adventure type of thought pattern. Like, well, what if instead of going this way, which would be the obvious thing to do, what if I go and do this instead? Or, you know, what if I turn it on its head here or, you know, do something unconventional that, you know, we've come to be accustomed to as consumers of media. You know, you expect like, Oh, the kid's never going to die. They're not going to kill the kid in the movie. That would be just cruel. Mm-hmm. And then go, well, I got to kill the kid now. <laughs> like, you know, just do things that subvert expectations. Yeah. And it's, it pays off, you know? 
Well, and I think that's one of the key things about the Maroon is when you, you kind of, a lot of the things that happen in it, you don't really see coming or they'll go a different direction than you kind of expected. Like it always kind of is keeping you on your toes as you're sort of reading it and so on. You're just waiting for it. And then there's some characters too where I just remember there's like some issues where I'm just sitting there going like, oh, this poor bastard, nothing good is going to come to it. I just know this is going <laughs> to There's just certain characters that's just like, every day is a bad day for them. It doesn't matter what they do. They're just one of those people that just is always always going to run into trouble anywhere they go yep. Yep. i think uh i think uh, the character shorty is like one of those prime examples from, <laughs> i think like, that's yeah. the number one i was thinking of yeah so uh, again i'm gonna shout out to my friend brian coles because he was the one that wrote uh issue four he's the only other person that's that's written an issue for the series and um and his wife has kind of done a lot of co-writing with me and stuff like that but he i gave him that one because after i did issue three because you know issues we kind of the first three issues, just to kind of backtrack a little, feel like this is the proper introduction of the series. The first issue basically solidifies that this is a violent, mature story, and it has supernatural elements and historical elements. And then the second one is like, and there might be some gratuitous sex. And then the third one is like, okay, it's going to get real gratuitous and real gore. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I fermented all of that. I, I was I had to kind of take a breather from that, and I, I was like, I don't know how to. I know what I want the fourth issue to, to accomplish, but I was just at a point where I had, I had gone nonstop, like I, I always do. And I had told Brian, hey, do you mind if you write kind of like a filler issue to kind of help me get on track? And so he wrote that one and he created the character of Shorty. And he left me, <laughs> he left me with Shorty alive in the custody of the Maroon and, and Matilda, which I was kind of like, okay, now what am I going to do with this guy? Mm-hmm. But even. He he had he didn't have much in terms of personality. He had some creepy aspects to him, but um, you know, I, I was like, well, I could probably use this guy and see what I can do with him. And I was expecting him to last maybe one to two more issues, and he ended up being kind of like a godsend. He kind of he kind of dictated the entire next trade by being in it <laughs> and, and having this primary role in there right alongside the maroon. And it was really a, nice, a neat dynamic that played out from it. So yeah, he was one of those guys where he's like. He was a scumbag, but then, you know, you kind of get a little empathy for him when you see how his 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 past was, and and then, but you still you still love to hate him, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. But I, I kind of like how like I, I like those kind of stories where like it's sort of like you, you start you, off. Just, did you cut out? Oh no, I, I'm okay. still here. I can hear you. Okay, what were you saying? I'm sorry. I was gonna say it's like I, there's always interesting when you got those kind of characters that start off and like you you know when you first look at them you're like God everything about this character I totally hate but as the story kind of goes on you sort of see where they're yeah. coming from you kind of see their backstory and so on you start getting the 360 degree view of it you know and then once you kind of right. see that you 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 know you might not still like them but you kind of go okay well at least I kind of I, I see where they're coming from you know what I mean like it's right. one of those ones like you know not everything was perfect for them and so on but um it is interesting when you kind of put together a character like that where like I, I know I've done that before where it's like okay this character's gonna you know it's gonna be like a one and done character and so on and then once you're kind of done making like one issue of it or one animation or something like that you kind of get the point where you're like I kind of like that character. I want, I want to almost see where that character goes. It's a fun character to kind of write. It's, you know, the play with to use and see. And the next thing you know, it becomes actually a big part of the story that you never expected. Well, and particularly with villains. Um, so I, I was on another podcast, like maybe a year ago or a little longer than that. And the host and I had kind of not a debate, but we had a kind of difference in opinion on what type of villains do we like? Mm-hmm. And, 
the the host was like, I like the villain that doesn't have a backstory where you have to empathize with them. I want the bad guy to be the bad guy, and through and through. And um, I have two villain tropes that I like. I like I like the villain that has a background, but doesn't that doesn't take the power away from them. Like sometimes when you find out like the origin of somebody that's a villain, say like Hannibal Lecter. Even Darth Vader, to some degree, at least the way it's executed, they lose the power of their mystique, you know what I mean? And then you kind of go, oh, well, so Vader is basically just a spoiled punk kid who is in love, you know? And you kind of, like, it kind of waters down. And and um, so, but I, one of the things I was trying to do with Hinton, who was, was, was the primary villain, I don't mm-hmm. think I'm spoiling anything right here, but it was to give him... And it was a challenge, obviously, for me to give someone who has such a hatred for a group of people a background where you can almost empathize with them, but you wouldn't do go the distance he would go. Um, and, and that was the thing I was trying to do. I was trying to give this guy a, a backstory where you can kind of see where he went wrong, mm-hmm. um, but still manage to hit his gut. <laughs> <laughs> it's still be you know, and not be and not take away any of his power. You know what I mean? And so... Um, I don't know how successful it was, um, but I, I I I feel pretty content with with his backstory and everything and how it played out. So, well, I think that they, that works really well because it's spread out among you know almost like seventeen or eighteen of your issues. I want to say all the way through. So, right. and you get these tidbits as it kind of goes along, and it really structures him out. Like once I, th- I think it's in like the second volume when we start getting the flashback ones of like, you know the twenty years mm-hmm. ago of his and so on, and really see the buildup of like oh he was a completely different guy and just certain events right. changed his entire opinion and he went the exact opposite way. Which it's almost like you know what it kind of reminds, that reminds me of almost like when you get people that like. They almost like, you know, let's just say, I'm not going to say politics to get into politics, but, you know, th- like those people that would be like oh. a hardcore Democrat. And then all of a sudden one thing sort of happens and they don't just go slightly to the other side. They go 100 percent to the other side. Where yeah. It's just like it, it's yeah. ta- one moment might instantaneously change them like <laughs> for everything. Or even born again Christians have that, that same yep. kind of there's a difference between a, a, a Christian and a born again Christian. You can tell them when you meet them because they're almost on this crusade to either like bring you over or to, to like damn you to hell if you don't, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, cause I always think about that. Cause I had a, I had a friend whose dad was literally a pastor, but you would go over to their house and you would never really even know, but then you would see those born again Christians and boy, do they have to tell you every single moment. Oh, they, <laughs> Today's they are, blessed day. Let me tell you why. <laughs> and then when you find out about their past, it's like, it is literally the extremes. Like I was on drugs and I fucking, you know, I killed animals and you know, yeah, I robbed robbed stores and people. And, yeah. and you're just like, wow. And now you're throwing rocks at me. Like what the? <laughs> like it's so intense. But like people have extremes, you know, when they go into these situations like that. And I um, I kind of likened that to the way how Hinton was kind of put together. He was really gung ho about one perspective in his youth. And because of, you know, again, because of a woman, too, which I, I mean, it, I'm not putting a blame on a woman because I realize in hindsight, I haven't been very kind to my female characters and I need to, like, make amends for that. But, like, the, the, the woman in particular in his situation, she had strong opinions, but they because he loved her so much. Mm-hmm. And, and when the tragedy hits, it really kind of pushes him over that edge. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, and I'm going to say this. The 1800s generally wasn't kind to women. No. <laughs> like, you know, it's like one of those ones, sort of like when you watch just like any old Western or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, what's, what's the movie I was just, uh, I had just seen? I had, um, was it Clint Eastwood? Oh, no, it was, it was, it was a more recent one. It was, um, ah. Uh, I'm trying to remember who the main actor was. Oh, was it the, but one, it off, was it the Christian Bale one? Um, Hostiles? Yes. Because that, that movie, with, when I saw that movie, I remember it was like, oh, I'm like, this is like the same. This almost has like a similar kind of theme take that um, yeah. pretty much the Maroon kind of has. Because it has that feeling that I always mm-hmm. say that like no matter where you sort of are, like in the Old West time period, if there's nobody else around, that's not a good thing. No, yeah. So, like, when you start out with that family living in the house, and then there's like the Native Americans come and they just fuck everything up. Mm-hmm. And like, even though the the wife is trying to get away with the baby, and they're just like they're merciless, man. They're like, oh, well, fuck it, you're on our land. Yeah, <laughs> like, just, wow. The... You know, yeah. So, that that whole movie's so brutal all the way through. It is. It is, and 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 it's it definitely is along the lines of what I I try to convey in the book. I mean, I don't want to. I, I've I've seen a lot of uh, comics that take place in the old west and stuff, and and a lot of them play it really like you know they want to keep it very general audiences and stuff like that. But there's there's a certain aspect of it where you go, I don't think things would have played out quite so safe if this was real. And I try to bring the kind of that 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 sensibility to it because I mean there was no social media back then. There was nobody nobody was watching everybody. You know what I mean? Like you didn't have news crews. You didn't have Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't even have a police force set up yet. So, like, these people you would run into out into the wilderness, these trackers, these h- bounty hunters, yeah. or, or any opportunists, they, you don't know what they got away with, but you know they got away with a lot of stuff, you know, because nobody would know. And, and, and a lot of it was one person's word against another. So I know a lot of women probably had a, a hard time in that time period if they weren't, like, at home protected by their, their husbands and stuff like that. And, and that's... um. That's a that's a terrible thought when you, when you're writing these things and you think about it like oh god you know like you shouldn't be in the woods. <laughs> well, but it is true. It's just I feel like the old west was just definitely a time of just like very like almost like pirate like people just all around yeah. and opportunists taking advantage of others because they know nobody's watching them. Everything's so spread out in those days. So even if there is any form of police and sheriffs and marshals and so on. Once again, they're spread so thin too, you know, and right. and I think right. that's what makes the like the old west a scary time period. But you don't see scary in too many movies and too many stories no, of the old west. But I feel like it really was like it was like one of those ones where you felt like you were always looking over your shoulder at that time period. Yeah, like the ugliness of humanity, like you know, you, like in the Remnant, the way Tom Hardy's character is such a shitbag in that movie, you know, and he yep. he like murders his son and stuff like that, and you're just like, dude, like. There was nobody there to protect him at that point. You know, like nothing, no one could have done anything. His dad was like shredded up by the bear. <laughs> He's not going to move, <laughs> you know, but, you know, he did. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, just left for dead and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, kind of going into those villains again. This is like an example I always kind of use of sometimes because I like, I like, I like the mix match of different villains. Like, I feel like. You know, you can have the villains that you almost see the 360-degree view of them, and you kind of get where they're coming from and so on. Then you also have the ones yep. that, like, they're called villains, but really at the end of the day, they're just, you know, one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter kind of style. Like, you know, right. you brought this up, Magneto back, you know, that's always kind of one of those ones. But um, I do say, like, there, then, 
there's that third there's, kind of villain, which I always call yeah. as like the pure evil villain. Like they have the, no nothing about them is good. And I think like nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think of also like like a lot of seventies movies would have those like pure villains. Like I'll I'll use this as my example. Like if you've ever seen Last House on the Left, like the Wes Craven right. original one, compared to like yes. the remake yes. version, is in the original mm-hmm. version those people are just pure evil. They have no reason for you to like them whatsoever. You don't see any of their backstory. They they they're just you know just devised of that where in the remake they kind of give them kind of a reason like why they're doing it. i mean you're not really on their side but you're like eh, well they kind of got i i see where they're coming from i mean it's not really the right thing and it kind of ruins yeah. some of their like evilness too and that, you know it works for different characters but there is kind of like different ones to play on and and that's that's the thing um that i i also like that type of villain the one that you cannot understand mm-hmm. because that's it, always the most terrifying and uh you know i think i think about like even though it's probably not one of the top horror films or anything like that, but I think of the, the girl from The Ring. Mm-hmm. In the first movie, when they try to explain her, she goes and visits the parents that like adopted her. They didn't even know where she came from. They just knew that there was something wrong with her. And um, I like that they don't. They have a very ambiguous beginning. You don't know if this is even a human you're dealing with. You know, um, and that's why a lot of like horror movies that deal with like supernatural elements, like ghosts or demon possessions and stuff like that. I, I find those a lot more terrifying than just like the monster on the run necessarily, because usually they give an explanation for the monster, you know, Yeah. or, you know, and, or like they, they, you know, they give you enough information where you're kind of like, wow, that's crazy. You know, like, um, no, I, like I, I, I almost wish like one of my favorite movies is brotherhood of the wolf. And you know how they had that. I, have you seen that movie at all? I don't think I have seen that one. You, you haven't seen that. Uh, it's, but that was dubbed over here. Hello? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Okay. Um, and it was it was called, I think, Le Pac de Lupes or something like that. Or, and it was basically like, there was like this uh, this kind of story about the beast of Givedon or something in France where this, this animal is going around like killing people, supposedly. And they, they supposedly had like a, a, a stuffed corpse in the museum showing what it was and they never really could explain what it was or whatever and this movie basically took that legend and built on it and had this whole thing with a like a, a cultist background and it's got like a, it, the main character is this naturalist who comes to France from America and he brings his Native American friend and it's, it's a really cool movie because it's like even though like it's set in that time period of like you know kind of pre-colonial or uh, colonial era like days uh, the Native American guy knows like fucking martial arts and shit, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. And he's meeting all these French, like a few French men out in the wild, and and like they're trying to track down this animal, and they find this creature. It's like you can't explain what the hell it is until like towards the end, you kind of get like an idea what it is. But it's a really neat film. I, I actually would recommend that to you because I think you'd really, really, really like it. It kind of has its DNA in my book, also as well. That was one of the big influencers for the Maroon. And you, when you see it, you'll understand why. Well, that, so that that sounds amazing to me. Like I'm gonna definitely yeah. have to look that one up. Brotherhood of the Wolf. Brotherhood of the Wolf. Yeah, I think it's got Mark DeCascos in it, and he plays the Native American. Mm-hmm. And uh, I forgot for the main guy, but it's also got um, Monica Bellucci um, and her husband are both in it. And I always forget his damn name, but they're it's a really good movie. And I think Luke Besson might have had something to do with it. I could be wrong, but he's the one that did like. 
the fifth element and all those other. Yeah, well, he, yep. he, he does. He, I always feel like he's the guy in charge of making France have their turnaround because it always felt like in America it was yep. always like, oh, France, the wheat country and so on. It's like, no, no, no. Have you seen a French action movie before? <laughs> His are... name on, if his name is on a French movie, I'm watching it. That's usually how it goes. <laughs> exactly. It's just one of those ones I know it's going to be kick-ass, badass, like some yeah. of the best action all around. You know what I mean? Yeah. I felt like there was a 30-year turnaround for France. They're like, you know what? They know us for like artsy <laughs> movies and snarky comments. We got to turn that around. We got to make the best action movies in the entire world. Yeah. Oh, man. It's good stuff. So, I, I, yeah, this is another one of those films where it's like it's, it's one of my top favorite films it's flawed as fuck, but it's like it's a it's a it's a great view viewing. You have to definitely check it out. It's really a fun movie. Yeah. Um, I remember I, they released it in like um, select theaters. Mm-hmm. This was probably like in maybe around two thousand. Okay. And I went to go see it um, in the theater, and it was I loved it. I thought it was great. No, I'm told I'm I'm beyond sold on this flick. So you know I'm going to be looking yeah. for that after this and so on. Definitely. Perfect. But um. Yeah. And, and when it comes down to creating comics and so on, out of all like the the aspects, whether it be writing, drawing, or let's just break down drawing to penciling, inking, coloring, and so on, lettering too. What do you, what do you think is your like favorite kind of plan of action when it comes down to that? Like how do how do you like to kind of structure that? That to, that to me is always kind of interesting. Like where do you start and where do you sort of end? Uh, I'm all over the place with that, honestly. Um, the thing I find, uh, which is so frustrating for me is that I get my best ideas when there's never a pencil or paper around to write them down. Uh-huh. So, so I, you know, like I'll, you know, I'll be sleeping at night and then I'll, I'll wake up and I have this thought and like, I don't want to wake up the whole house and run and scribble stuff down on paper, Yeah. but like to do that, you know? And um, so usually whenever I, you know, an inception of an idea happens and everything like that, I, I, I try to get at least the main plot points down. And then uh, I actually start I, – I, one of the biggest uh, things that I, I use to kind of help convey a mood is just the atmosphere of, like, is it snowing? Is it raining? Is it, like, what's the, what's the world going to be like at this moment when the story is taking place? Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that changes how I tell the story. And so um, I always establish the environment right after the idea. And then I start doing sketches of like what characters are going to bring in, um, what monsters might show up. And then uh, I'm building the plot in my head. And then I think about like within this plot, there's going to be certain action sequences that are going to be, you know, almost like a, a third act of a movie, like a grandiose set piece mm-hmm. for. And so then I start like I actually start choreographing that by scribbling these, these ideas down on paper. Really, really fast because I, I can't wait to actually get down and, and actually draw it, which is, you know, which is what I end up doing when I start scribbling these things down. They end up becoming part of the book after a while because I get too detailed in them and I just end up importing them in. <clears throat> so um, I, I guess, yeah, it just depends. Like, it really depends on what hits me first. Like, is it, you know, what's what's something that what catches my mind and. I dwell on it for longer than a minute. I'm going to be like, okay, I have something here. Um, like for the next um, story arc, I, um, my brother had introduced me to this old, you know, I've been in the first American vampire novel, just called The Vampire. Mm-hmm. It was about this uh, vampire in Haiti who um, 
basically gets revenge because he was a he was a slave and he gets revenge on his master's family by like well they they he pretends to die and he comes back later as an adult i don't, I don't know why a vampire would grow in the first place but i guess he wasn't a vampire yet but he comes back as one and then he the the, the man of the house dies and he marries the wife basically his master's wife and mm-hmm. they basically kids and then like he resurrects like all these dead people and then he has like this grand plan that he's gonna like take all these vampires uh you know and go somewhere and like reclaim some land it's like a really long drawn out like synopsis but like um the idea of of just having like this american vampire was kind of like hmm i wouldn't mind trying to like bring some of that element into it and then the best part about it is that they don't know who the author of this story is. So I'm like, is this public domain? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, well, yeah, because I was wondering what year this might have been, too, because you said early on. So it's like, oh, man, is this like 1800s, like this story and so? Yeah. I believe it's like 1800s. I could be wrong. But there's there's no um, current. There's a pen name, I think, for the author. And there's people who think they know who wrote it. But like, if it's not. If it's not a for sure thing, does that make it like free, you know, like up for grabs? You can take this character and use him in your own, you know. So I'm, I'm wondering, if, like, I'm trying to look into seeing if that's something I can do because I'm really intrigued by the character. Mm-hmm. But um, it's also a new element too to bring into because I haven't really brought vampires into the world of the Maroon, so that would be a neat thing to do too as well. But I, I, I I'm, I'm not really sure right now. I'm kind of this is the first time I've kind of hit like a little bit of a, a mental block with the story. Yeah. So I'm sorting through my options and seeing where I want to take this next. I know where I want it to end, as always. As everyone should always know how you want your story to end, but it's just kind of making your way to that to that end point and keeping it interesting and, and such. That's the toughest part. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely guarantee. I think having the, the end is very important because I, I've wrote mm-hmm. stories before where you don't have an exact ending, and that, that is always the most challenging part once you get about, like, three-fourths into it is then you kind of go oh great now, now you know you i don't wrap it up yeah <laughs> yeah well because it's like you know you, I, I remember just like you know back in the day you, you know you don't really have any rhyme or reason of like how to like do stuff you know when you first kind of get into writing and all that kind of stuff so you know you, you're just kind of going with it you're doing it kind of like i always feel like kind of punk rock style where you just i got emotions man i got story i'm gonna do it but like sometimes <laughs> I, I feel in the long run that might work like once and then because i know some people will yeah. do that and they, they get like that oh man that worked out I, I guess i know what i'm doing and then they'll do like two or three and then be like oh uh, i guess you can't do that style every single time <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and and i i used to uh, i used to work on another book way back in like 2007 Mm-hmm. And like the first, uh, the first trade that was put together, it was it was like four issues, and um, it, like the writer basically was like he wrote the first issue, and he's like, oh, I have to write the second issue, and then like, it's funny he told me he admitted to me that he's like I didn't have a plan, like because he's like I didn't think we were gonna get published, so I just wrote a first issue, and and you know I had to continue it after that. Yeah. So he wrote these, <laughs> he wrote the story like piece by piece as we went along because he didn't think like issue two would have got finished and then issue three happened and then he's like oh crap you know we're coming to the finale and he did a big finale but it's i look back at it now and I'm like wow we were so green you know with this book and not that i'm like a professional now or anything like that but like comparing what i can i've done now to that it feels that way you know anyway in a, in a, in a small way um well there's... but it, it's just funny go ahead 
Yeah, well, I was just going to say, well, there's just so many little tidbits that you always learn through each issue, each story, and so on. And your knowledge just keeps stacking up. You know, you just learn from all the experiences and so on. So at the end of the day, yeah, you do become just way more professional as time goes on just because you know a little bit more each time and better ways to do it, different structures, you know. But it is kind of interesting when there is that kind of – there's something kind of – I always feel like – I always call it like almost like there's like that 17-year-old when you're about that age and you're at that point. Where like you get really into something and you don't really have like those like burdens, you know, or bearings of like over the top of like being like, oh, man, well, what if it doesn't work out? What if it's that? No, because you got that 17 year old like, dude, anything's possible, man. Just got to do it. And sometimes there is kind of something to be said about that, you know, where you just have that. Like oh, you know what I'm young we're good. we're going for it. it's gonna all work out and then you know a handful of years later you're like well you know I've I've kind of learned things and been humbled as time goes on so now uh now I know a little bit differently but <laughs> that, that makes me think of like when I was uh, when I graduated high school and I went to I was in uh, I lived in Connecticut before I moved out to California and um, senior year I, I, up until this point I've been kind of grooming myself to be getting into comics I just had no idea how. Mm-hmm. And um, this is around the time like the image comic boom was happening. Yeah, and you know all these hotshot artists were coming out, and I was like, oh yeah, this is like my time to shine. I'm gonna like build my skills and become as good as Jim Lee. Uh, and like, <laughs> and um, I remember my friend was you know telling me what my plan was because my my mom she was she was like, well, well as soon as you graduate, because you're the the last of the kids, you know I'm gonna move you all out to California. We're all gonna go to California. And I was like, California? Like I don't. What am I supposed to do there? You know, like. All the comics are here in New York City. That's where you go and you know, yeah. get your toes, you know. And so she's like, "Oh, too bad," you know. So <laughs> <laughs> she packed up her little hatchback and we drove across country and we wound up in Southern California. And like when I got here, I didn't realize that like Rob Liefeld and all of them, a lot of the Image Comics guys were based right there in Anaheim, where we had happened to move. Mm-hmm. And uh, my older brother ended up getting a job at Mile High Comics in Anaheim. Oh, and because nice. they had to up a store, yeah. So it was really this crazy time because it was just like all these these like artists and writers would come in for signings, and I would always go to these things. And then my brother would get like free tickets to San Diego Comic Con, which can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'd get in for free all the time. And then like uh, you know, and it was just this crazy atmosphere. Like, oh, I know this guy. You know, he lives in Fullerton. I know this guy. You know, and then and, and, like. I don't know. It feels like it almost feels in a weird way like destiny is kind of shaping itself to be like, this is where you're going. And I remember <laughs> this is a funny story. This is kind of going on a little tangent, but I actually want to, if we ever do another podcast, I'd like to talk to you about if you've ever met like any of the professional guys and if you have any funny stories. Because uh, <laughs> I remember Jim Shooter was coming to Mile High Comics uh, to do a signing for this book he was doing called uh, the, the Good Guys when he was working with. Uh, was it Defiant? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But Jim Shooter, like, he's a pretty big name for Marvel, especially in the 80s. He created Secret Wars and all that stuff. And, but he was also kind of notoriously kind of a hard a hard ass. And I didn't know that really at the time. So I remember I went there and I was going to show him, like, my portfolio. And I was doing, like, you know, my own comic. And I was trying to get you know, my foot through the door somehow. And all these people were lined up. They got this, like, new big guys comic. And signing them and signing them. And I get up to him, and I just, I don't even give him his comic to sign. I didn't even have it. I just put my portfolio in front of him. like, Jim, what do you think of my stuff? And he kind of, like, looks, like, a little, like, befuddled at first. Like, what the hell? You know, like, so he's flipping through it. 
And as he's flipping through it, I remember suddenly all the stories of like how he's such a like a really hard nut at Marvel. And then I started, like, oh god, I'm shit my pants all of a sudden. Like, did this. And so he goes through it, and I I think he didn't say anything necessarily bad to me. He said your storytelling is really good. He's like, you just need to work on perspective, and you need to, you know, just tighten up your stuff a little bit, but keep up the good work. And I freaking walked away from that shit like I almost like I was in a firing squad, but missed every bullet. You know, you like, like <laughs> got in your life. <laughs> but I have like I have a bunch of stories like where I have like these kind of interactions in the, with like people in the industry, and it's like I don't know how the hell I'm still like trying to make a comic book because. I was either really ballsy or or it's just stupid. I'm gonna go with the latter. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was almost like a good one to walk away with because that was just like, hey, you're you're on the right track. Just work, just work even more on tightening it up. Like that's almost like the perfect kind of like somewhat of a motivational speech. It's not just like you're terrible. Like give it up now. You know, like not one of those well, I like, ones. I like in that situation to like the scene in the the Last Crusade where like Indy runs into Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> he has the notebook. Well, I do think with so many of those things, when it comes down to it, it's that it's that one where it's like, you know, like you kind of question when you go to ask somebody, you know, either to right. look at something or for something or what have you. And, you know, and really at the end of the day, like what's the worst thing they're going to say? No. You know what I mean? Is and if no's yeah. really the worst thing, that's not bad at all. No, exactly. You know, and, and if I, and I'm really surprised I, I haven't gotten a lot of heavy criticism for this book. Uh, I, the, the, the worst I've gotten was like, well, you need to work on your lettering or, or your colors. And that was really kind of really it. It wasn't like, they're like, you know, this, if you really want to get into the professional field, this is where you'd want to go. And I'm like, well, I'm doing indie books, though. Do I need to? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there's always that kind of thing, too. And sometimes at the end of the day, too, when someone kind of goes, you know, it's like I always say about like a lot of those professional ones, not saying that, you know, an artist there probably isn't like, you know, the jack of all trades of everything, too. But you kind of think about it and be like, you know, you, you got a professional book and you got six to seven or eight people kind of working on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Of course, the guy who's only doing coloring is going to become way more of a master of coloring because yeah. now that's what he specializes in. It's I think it's always a little bit different than when you're kind of creating every aspect yourself. Agreed, agreed. And I, you know, and, and when I had gotten that criticism at first, I was a little like miffed about it. But like honestly, there's nothing wrong with what they said. It was honestly mm -hmm. something to kind of build on rather than to take away from. So it was. It, it, I think I think I know a lot of people who who are artists and that want to do comics, but are so afraid to put themselves out there. And I think that's the worst thing is like, n don't worry about what other people say, worry about what you have to say about yourself. Because, um, you know, I know someone that was, he, he's always drawing and drawing and drawing. And uh, on the last book I worked on, we tried to give him like, a shot to, to do it. And he spent like a year, like trying to do the first script. Mm -hmm. And I told this guy, like, he can't do that. I mean, I know we're not, uh, a big company or anything like that but like if you wanted to get into a big company you can't spend a year on a script you got to get that shit out like i mean, like you know less than a month you know and and um you know their biggest fear was putting themselves out there and, and hearing the criticism that was going to come with it and i'm like wait but you need to hear it you know yeah there's gonna be people who are just going to be like 
they're going to criticize for the sake of being a, an idiot. But then there's going to be those who really want you to do better. And they're going to tell you. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think, I don't think some people can get past that mental block of doing that though. And that's that, that makes me sad. And I think that's one of those driving forces for me where I like to champion like the indie comic, uh, guys, because like, we're all trying to put ourselves out there and we know that, you know, we probably may never get a shot into the big leagues, like up there and like the big three or whatever, but like, we're still doing what we love and there should be no reason why we can't keep doing what we love. Yeah, exactly. And well, and it's like I, I've seen that a lot throughout time. Like, it doesn't matter if it's comic books, movies, storytelling, what have you. But there's those people I always call them like they're like perfectionists, and everything's got to be perfect. It's got to be perfect. And it's something mm-hmm. that I've kind of learned is that it's, it's never going to be perfect. I have it. I have this rule. Perfect. I call it the ninety percent rule. It just has yep. to be ninety percent good. And once it's ninety yep. percent good, move on because it, you're better off having more stuff and continuing on and you you know skill will develop as time goes on it, it's a slow process right. and it gets there as time goes on but wouldn't you rather you know in a year have a handful of issues under your belt than trying to make this one issue really good and this right. is also the example i always use of like this is why you don't want to be the perfectionist type person and so on but i always this is my always go-to example is that um when i think of like Axl Rose, when he had that Guns N' Roses Chinese Democracy album, and, you know, it started in, like, 96, and it didn't come out till like, 2008, because it was yeah, never good. It was so never good. So he kept throwing money into it, re-recording, getting d- different guitar players, and all this kind of stuff. And when it came out, here's the thing. It, it's, a, it's, not, it's not a bad album. It's good. But it's not like, hey, it's 12 years in the making, amazing. No, it feel, felt like right. this should have came out in, like, 1997, and you should have released eight other albums album since then do you think if the album what you've heard from it because i never i haven't heard it but i've always heard the story about it mm-hmm. do you think if had it come out when it was supposed to it would have been a bigger hit i, I think so because and i think it would have worked mm-hmm. you know and then mm-hmm. you would have had more out al- and then at the end of the day you would have had you know more albums to trickle down afterwards right and right. who knows what other hits you might have come up with because now instead of just having like 11 or 12 songs or whatever's on that album, now you would have 48 new songs in the last like 20 years in a sense. And, and that, that was exactly the same case with that guy when we gave him a script to work off of. He he worked on the pages and they said, I don't like the way it's coming out, so I'm going to do them all over again. And it was always that same that same speech whenever we would meet up uh, to see how progress is doing. And and it literally became almost like a year before he produced something. And it was like, you know, you have to just, you just have to do it. If anyone that's listening, if you're like, you know, considering getting into this kind of field or any field in the arts, is that you have to be content at least with what you're doing. Um, You can't be, nobody's going to come out Jim Lee. Yeah. I mean, Lee even had to start somewhere. Maybe some artists have a lot more, uh, intuitive uh, skill than some of us, some of the rest of us, but like, and that gives them a little bit of an edge, but that's fine. You know what I mean? Like some people are really built for doing it, but that doesn't mean it should stop you from doing it. You know, mm-hmm. um, you, you can look at a lot of professional artists out there that have a stylized way of drawing things. And like, like Mike Vignola is a great artist, but his art doesn't look like Jim Lee's. It's actually more simple, but it's really nice. You know, um, you can craft your, your, your shortcomings into a style if you, if you choose to as well. And that's the way I feel. I feel like if you have, if you have difficulty in certain areas where it's just not working out, 
you know, try to bend it to your will, you know, and <laughs> and make it something of yours, you know, and make it distinct. So you're not going to be lumped in with a bunch of clones out there that are doing their stuff. And that's kind of the trouble with being in the big three is that they have standards that they set up. This is, you got to draw things the Marvel way. You got to draw things like this, where I want that to look like this, but you are an artist that at the time, if you're going to do comics and you want to do your own comic, do it the way you want to do it. And, you know, if people don't like it, then that's fine. You're not going to please everybody, but at least you're doing it. You kind of have to be selfish. You have to be self-serving and say, I'm doing this for me. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, I think that's definitely true. It's that weird thing where like, it, it, it always makes you sound like you're kind of full of yourself, but you do need to be like, yo, it's me first, in a sense. What, right. do, what do I want to see? What do I want to right. read? You know, and that should be the driving force. Because once you put right. that out there, you're going to find other people want to see the same thing that you do. You know, the things that don't just appear in every book, that don't appear in every story out there, and so on. And, I mean, even with comic books, I think one of the nicest things about it, and this actually even goes with, like, animation as well, too, is that a lot of times, like, the best art isn't always doesn't always make the most captivating book anyways. Because I think of some books that, like... Mm-hmm. It's not to put them down, but like they got kind of funky art, but I like the funky art. I like that like yeah. the lines aren't perfect and the proportions aren't right, but it looks different. Cause you know, there's sometimes yeah. with some of the Marvel and DC books, like I always kind of feel like they're not like the big books, but they're kind of like the secondary books that they sort of have. And they always, yeah. I always call them kind of the generic comic book art. Like, it's it's yeah. everything yeah. about it. It's fine. It's it's in perfect proportions. Perspectives are all there. It's all dialed in. But it's just like it's just kind of bland, and it's just not it interesting. Is. And it's just there's something missing. And I, and that's the only thing that always kind of bums me out in those kind of stories. Is I almost just wish that like can't you just let a little bit more creativity kind of go into them? And I know what they want. They want to kind of look like, you know, if somebody goes to the store, they can just pick up a book and like the characters already look what it is. They're not going to have like, you know, pick up one of those books and go, Oh, what, what is going on with green lantern in this one? Why does he just have like a ginormous fist? And so on like that, and, like he's exploding out of the page, but maybe that's like, you know, maybe also by having some of those, like the generic comic book arts, which once again, they're good, but they just kind of feel like they came out of a factory. It makes right. the other one stand out more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think like you, you need to have more variety in terms of how visual comics are anyway. I think I think like, you know, you think about when Comic Central was around mm-hmm. and all the different styles of art, like I think about Stroper and how they use, you know, the, the it was almost like a letterbox format. Yeah. Um, you know, that was a really neat and innovative way. Like, don't just think in terms of how well you draw, but how well you present your artwork, how you frame it and everything. And I think that's really important. Because you can get noticed for other things, too, and, and still be attributed to your style. And, uh, you know, it, it, I just, I, oh, man, I, I, I really wish that there was a bigger, better platform for indie artists to show their stuff off. Because I feel like there's so many more, like, Poyo Man and, you know, and Stroper and, and, you know, The Pale and stuff. There's so many more books like that that we don't even know about. Yeah, there, there's so many great ones out there that just have unique stories, different art. And so, I mean, like, that's always one of the most magical things I think about comic books is the fact, and I guess it's kind of similar to, in a sense, novel writing as well, too, is that you really, right. it's almost like, you, it's like you got a production value of unlimited possibilities. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like going into a movie and not having like so much money that now you get kind of confused on what to do. But like, in a sense, it's like, it doesn't matter. Like you can make the biggest blockbuster action possible, but it really only costs you time in a sense, as far as comics yeah. go. It's there's not like a huge, 
a, there's not that gap of like, because that was always the downfall to movie making. Movie making is always like it's all it's technology based more than anything else. Like you always there's always technology to have. There's always people and crews you got to pretty much have. I mean, yeah, you, there's some things you can kind of get away with and so on, but for the most part, there's still always that money gap where like comic books. I always what I liked about it so much. It's almost like once you got your software, once you got just like your handful of equipment you need, you don't even really need a powerful computer or anything like that. You could create mm-hmm. any world in any story you want, and it, once again, it just takes the time. That's it. Yeah, well, I mean, think about it. I mean, these movies that we're getting in this day and age, the Justice League, the Avengers, all that stuff was already being done in comics like two, three decades before. Yeah. And now the movie technology has just caught up to the point now where we can get a, a Spider-Man that doesn't look like he's being held up by a cable when he crawls up a wall, you know? Like, <laughs> you got that. To the Hulk right in front of your eyes instead of cutting into like these different shots of his shirt, you know, it's like now you get like what you've been reading on the panel. But again, that's all because the technology is here now. Whereas in comics, you can do whatever you want if you if you really have the creative mindset to do it. And and that's that's it. It floors me that this is a floundering like industry in some ways because it's like it really should be like a harvesting pit for a lot of these, you know, movie and TV, uh, you know, production companies. Um, yeah. You know I mean? Well, I tell you, yeah. Cause it's one of those, and it's like, once again, I, I use novels in about the same way too. Cause I feel like they're kind of like the other one too. Cause I feel yeah. like a novel is the same thing too. Once again, you don't need anything fancy. You just need a typing program and some time mm-hmm. and you can create any story once again, you want and right. I think that is sort of how it is. Like, it's one of those ones that, like, if you want to kind of start diving into just getting just different and unique stories and so on, like, comic books are such a great place for it. Like, you'll just find sci-fis yeah. you would have never even thought of. You know, you'll find yeah. action. You'll find comedy. You'll find all kinds of samurai stuff. And, you know, there's just so it's many not... possibilities that that really yeah. would just turn into fantastic yeah. movies. And I don't know. It's kind of one of those ones, like, they've kind of, like, not used a whole lot. Like there was that period where they were just pulling all kinds of random comic books as, you know, they have superhero ones, yeah. but they always pull like the random books too, you know, and the turn those into movies. <laughs> I always think of the roots of perdition. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and just so many of those things. And I just think there is just like tons of possibilities to kind of go with it. And I think it's one of those ones that, especially if, you know, just for being kind of even just the reader of comics, you just get like, it's just interesting all the stories you can kind of go down in the rabbit holes and so on. But the whole thing is finding those books and getting there. But then you can get is like a, even a more targeted audience. So if you really like this specific niche genre, that comic book, you know, you can find stuff in there where it's like, cool, here's this section where there is books that are all kind of in this, you know, fun style that I want to kind of dig into. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's such a, great big sandbox to play in um and it's like i almost wish i had nothing else to do in the world but do comics sometimes because it's like i have a lot of ideas that i wish i could get on paper and and out there and it's just it's just a lot of work to do solo and stuff like that so you know you just gotta pick your 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 you know your most interesting nugget and just kind of feed off of that you know um it's it's tough i mean i've been trying to juggle doing this and then like trying to complete like uh the other book kepra that i had kind of mm-hmm. started it i dusted off and it's like that's that one is more of like a sewing mission it's kind of like i have all this work that i've had, had uh, illustrated years ago and now i have to stitch it into a narrative now <laughs> you know 
you know, it's the story's still generally the same, but it's just how I'm putting it together and how do I keep things from looking inconsistent from different time periods and everything like that. So it's really more of a, of a project that the maroon has come. The maroon, I, you know, I know it's going to look the same because we're working off of my art skills from this time period, you know, and not from the 90s. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, there's always that little bit of adjusting and so on like that, you know. And that's always I feel myself. It's like I have way more stories written down mm-hmm. than I, you know, than there is like almost like time to kind of get everything drawn out and put together and so on. Like if all I had to do was write, I could sit down and just write copious amounts of issues and be like ready to go. But then it's always like the buildup of kind of, okay, write and then go into the drawing and then come back to writing and then yep. go into the drawing and you know that's it's just that timely process but that's it though it's it's just time that's kind of the nice thing there's not too much more expenses that kind of go into comics and that's what i sort of i just really like about it compared to just all the other multimedia experiences i've kind of done as time goes on but um i know we're kind of getting to the end of our time frame here i know you got to get going and so on like that so real quick derek where can everybody find you can they find your books and all that good stuff yeah i mean the the first and direct place you can go my website which is www.themaroncomic.com um and that has links to where you can buy the book where you can find me on social media um it has even a you know you can sign up for any kind of monthly newsletters and stuff like that which i've kind of lagged on this past couple of months but i'm gonna get <laughs> back to it um you know on on um you know, Twitter, you can find me under OLI Comics. Uh, Facebook, I have a Facebook page for the Maroon Comic uh, under that, and as well as on Instagram. Um, so those are the three big places that I'm on. And you can purchase my comics at uh, Indie Planet in a physical copy. I have all 18 issues up, as well as the three trades. Um, you can get digital copies from Amazon through Kindle, um, uh, Peep Game Comics, Comicsology. Um, and also from Indie Planet, and uh, there's a few other spots on the website you can see where they're coming from. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to I tried to spread out my my product as far and wide as I possibly can. So if you have difficulty finding it, um, just shoot me an email when you, if you go to my website, and I will direct you happily. <laughs> well perfect well i'll make sure to put some of those links too as well in the description to make it easy access and whatnot but awesome. um thanks again derek for coming on being the first guest to a new podcast here the spencer scott yes. holmes podcast having a fun time <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me i'm honestly the first guest so yeah so all that good stuff if you want to find more of my comic pizza boys or other podcasts i do like the old man orange podcast indie comics club there's a vast variety of all that but you can always go to oldmanorange.com that has all my links there super easy to find and all that fun stuff well cool derek well thanks for being on here and um we'll we'll figure out another episode soon absolutely man just let me know and I'll, i'll come back awesome thank you everybody for listening Take care, everyone. We are out. Danny Alabini was a right-wing man. He had a finger on the trigger of a babbling hand.